In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. This is the very last sermon that I get to preach in this Advent season. Next week, our kids will do the preaching in their pageant. And the week after that is Christmas Eve, when we will have, by the way, a very brief, simple service in the morning because it's a Sunday morning and we need to mark Advent 4. And then our two Christmas Eve services that night at 4 and 9. So the next real sermon that you'll hear from me is at the 9 p.m. service on Christmas Eve. Because this is the last sermon that I get to preach in this season, which admittedly feels a little rushed to me, I wanna talk a little bit about the themes for this week and the themes for next week because they go together. This week we hear the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the familiar words that call us to prepare for Jesus and that remind us of John the Baptist, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, and of course we have this great sort of caricature cut across the landscape in John of camel's hair and locusts and wild honey. It's John's job to prepare the people for Jesus. John was born to prepare the people for Jesus. If we go back and listen to his story, his entire life was set up so that he could make the paths straight, so that he could prepare God's people, so that when he got there, they would know Jesus' voice. And that's what John does his whole life long. He spends the last part of his life in particular calling God's people to repentance and giving them the sacrament of baptism, baptizing them in the Jordan River and telling them to go and live new, changed, transformed lives. Usually, whenever we see a portrayal of that, they lift directly from one of the Gospels the words, go and sin no more. John gives them access to God, access to the divine, by helping them to realize that if they live well, if they seek that rightness of life and rightness of relationship, if they prioritize worship and ritual, then they can draw near to God even now in their daily lives. And he gives them this baptism to sort of mark the end of one life and the beginning of the next, a transition, a transformation, from an understanding of God who is far away and a life that is not connected to an understanding of God who is very near and a life that is profoundly connected to that God. And he tells the people, and Mark tells us in the text this morning, prepare, prepare, prepare. It's a continuation in some ways of the last couple of weeks. Last week we heard stay awake, be alert, be ready. And how many parables in the weeks before that did we hear where Jesus warned us of the second advent, that he was coming back? And now what we hear is prepare. Do what you need to do to be ready. Don't just sort of sit there and be lazy and let it happen to you. Do what you need to do to be ready. And if we use the example of John, prepare yourself, meaning live that new and transformed life, Go and sin no more, at least as much as we can. And maybe it helps to think of sin as something that breaks or limits or hampers right relationship, something that separates us from God and neighbor. That's sort of the best modern interpretation of sin that we have. And if we think about it that way, then maybe 
it helps to think about living honestly and having good, healthy relationships, to do the big and little things that we can do to live in peace with our neighbors. Maybe that's the opposite of sin. Maybe that's what it means to prepare for Jesus to come, to try and live in this healthy, holistic, transformed, loving way. Now, if we were farmers, we might talk about preparing the ground, preparing the soil, the field, so that when the seeds are planted, they can grow. If you like to cook, you might think about it as doing sort of all your mise en place first, right? You cut everything up and then you go ahead and start moving towards the actual cooking so that everything is ready and the sort of nitty gritty labor is done and you can do the larger work. Maybe you can think of your own metaphor, but the point is that we are intended to be preparing not just ourselves, but the world around us in laying this foundation for Jesus, sharing the good news, setting people up to hear and believe it when Jesus breaks into their lives. Because he always does. So that's the first big piece of kind of wrapping up Advent this week and next week. This idea of prepare, prepare. Prepare yourself, prepare the world around you, lay the foundation, make sure that you are ready and help others be ready to hear the good news too when it comes for them. And then here's the second piece. God says to us in Advent over and over again, and Jesus has been saying it over and over again for the last several weeks in the Gospels, I am coming to you. I love you so much that I am coming to you. I am bringing the light of the divine directly into your life, into your world, into your way of living. You can have it. I am coming to you to save you, to free you, to hold you, to love you. God doesn't say, figure it out for yourself. Come find me, figure it out on your own, figure out how to get to me, climb up to the heights of heaven if you have to. God doesn't say, I'm hiding, come find me. God doesn't say, you need to do something really amazing in order to deserve me or merit my presence in your life. There are no obstacles here except the ones that we put up. What God says is, I am coming to you. And God says it over and over and over again and then does it in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we, God's people, are to prepare ourselves and the world around us to be the preachers and teachers of the good news so that the world around us might hear, if we're meant to be like John who lay the foundations and make the paths straight so that others can also prepare to receive the Lord, then how do we adapt that message? We are coming to you. We are going to love you, to serve you, to stand next to you, to share the light with you, to be good neighbors, to be loving friends because that is what the light of God in each of us calls us to do. Now some of you will have noticed on your way in, in the window out there, right next to our very lovely big wreath, there is a menorah this morning. And for those of you who know me well, that might have struck you a little bit as odd if you didn't read the article in Good Morning Wilton this week, or see our post on social media, and so I want to explain a little bit. This week there was a letter in Good Morning Wilton written by a few of our Jewish neighbors and by my colleague, Cantor Harriet, who's the spiritual leader of Temple B'nai Haim. 
And the letter asked us all to participate in Project Menorah, to put menorahs in our windows for the next eight days, to light them at night, to share the light of the Jewish people as they celebrate Hanukkah. If you don't have a menorah, the article included a, a picture of one that was drawn by a, a young Jewish child. You can color that or have someone in your family color that and stick it in the window, the article says, of your house or of your car, whatever you're comfortable with. There's a whole stack out there on the table. If you feel moved on your way home, you wanna take one home with you and participate. The vestry and I felt that it was important to offer this gesture of love and support to our neighbors in this season because our Jewish neighbors are feeling isolated and sad and wounded. Some of them are frightened. And so this is an ask for us to share the light with them. My best friend growing up, some of you may know, my best friend growing up was half Jewish on her father's side. And I spent a tremendous amount of time from about sixth grade on um, in their house <laughs> with them. Um, I even had a room, I kept, a, couple of changes of clothes there, I had a key. It was almost like having a second house and a second set of parents. I was there frequently for Shabbat, I was there pretty frequently for Hanukkah with the rest of their extended family, and so I learned across some of those formative years quite a bit about their faith and grew a deep respect for their way of life. In fact, it it ended up being a, a really meaningful part of my own formation because it gave me a window, especially as a Christian and as someone who would become a priest, into what it was that Jesus would have believed and practiced and understood himself as a Jewish person. What's important about this story and the reason that I'm telling you is that they were particularly kind to me in a season that was very hard for me and for my family. They didn't have to be that kind. They could have just been nice people who were generous when I was around and nice to their daughter's friend. But instead, they went sort of the extra mile that they didn't have to go. And they became sort of an extended part of my family. They took me in, in ways that they didn't have to. They counted me as one of theirs. And they actually still do. If you ask them, they get quite a kick out of the fact that they helped to raise an Episcopal priest. <laughs> They're not really sure how that happened. It's not something that they would have predicted when they got married, but it is something that they sort of get a kick out of. And they've never been anything but supportive, just like they were all of those years that they took me into their home and into their life and into their tradition and into their love. And for me, they embody a little bit of this image that I'm after this morning. Even though Jesus is not their guy, and he is very much mine, what they said to me over and over and over again with their actions all of those years was, you belong, we are beside you, we are coming to you, we are here. Because that is what love does across all boundaries. It builds peace. And in that little way, when people go the extra mile that they don't have to go, when they love across those differences, they change the world around them a little bit at a time. You belong. I am beside you. I am coming to you. I am here. 
So whispers God to each one of us whenever we're willing to listen. And that is exactly what we are called to do now. At the beginning of the war several weeks ago, I stood here and I said quite a few things about the fact that this is a complicated conflict, that it's religion and politics woven together and that it is not necessarily our job to unravel it as Christians. I'll say some more about that in a minute, but what I wanna say now is that we can be the smart, nuanced people that we are. We can condemn violence and terrorism. We can condemn the killing of innocent people, especially women and children and non-combatants. We can pray for all in that region who are mourning and grieving and hurting and injured, and we can pray for the dead. We can stand next to our Jewish neighbors at the same time, and we can say, I am coming to you. I am standing beside you, because that is what love does. One of the things that I shared a few weeks ago, I wanna just revisit briefly because some of you have asked me about it. In the last several weeks, we've heard quite a few different readings and we heard one again this morning from Isaiah that focused on Israel and focused on Jerusalem. And so even though I said this again at the outbreak of the war, I want to just repeat this because I think it's helpful. From our perspective as Christians, based on our understanding, there are three different Israels. One is the nation state of Israel that we're hearing about in in the news. One is the people of God that we hear about in scripture as we did in Isaiah this morning. The tribe, the people with whom God covenants, the people God loves and cares for from one generation to the next. The people God has always stood by and loved and cared for. We believe as Christians that these are God's chosen people because God does not take back promises. God does not take back blessings. God does not break covenants. And then the third one is this sort of non-corporeal Israel which is made up of all the Jewish people living around the world, here in Wilton as well. And some of our neighbors might identify with one, two, or three of those groups. And some of them might identify with only one. And as I said before, it is not my place or our place to determine the overlap. We don't need to be in charge of that to love and serve our neighbors to do our work, to share our light, to build peace, to lay a foundation of God's good news, to show respect for our neighbors of all different faiths. Together, we can pray for and demand the release of hostages. We can ask God's protection on innocent civilians, especially children. And we can still take this opportunity and respond to this particular ask to show love and support in a small, concrete way for our neighbors to say, I am coming to you. We are coming to you to stand beside you. You belong. This is the call for us today and every day to share the light that God has given us. Because we live in a dark and often troubled and broken world. And you know as well as I do, this is not the first time in our lifetimes that that has been the case, and it certainly will not be the last. The call of Advent is for us to not look away from that darkness, but to understand that we move and live in the midst of it, and that we have power over it and against it. We can shine our light and point it into those dark corners. We can gently pour love into broken hearts, We can help to heal broken bodies and fill empty bellies and welcome the stranger and free the oppressed 
and give to the poor because that is what God tells us we can do over and over again. So my question for you is how in these next two weeks will you share the light that God has given you? How will you heed John's call to live a changed life, to mark the difference between that understanding of God as distant and the understanding of God as present and near? How will you heed John's call to be transformed? How will you help prepare the world around you for Christmas? to receive God's love when it breaks into the world again? How will you stand next to your neighbors of many different faiths and honor our shared roots, our shared histories, and the fact that our futures are also shared? To you today and every day, God says, I am coming to you. You belong. Are you ready? Amen.